Coming up on golf today, some big time star power in Mexico this week for the Worldwide Technology Championship at Mayakoba. Who will take it deep? Who will go low? And who might parlay this week into something down the line? And Seamus Power stops by after a victory in Bermuda. How will he keep the pot boiling in Mexico? And is a spot on Luke Donald's Ryder Cup team on his mind? And with no Lydia Ko in Japan, who might take advantage on the LPGA as the season winds down and the chase for awards heats up? You have to bring your best on Golf Today. Golf Today. Wednesday's off to a great start. Damon Hack alongside Matt Adams, Fairways of Life. I tell you what, I can't think about Maya Coba in this week at the PGA Tour without thinking about James Taylor and that song, Mexico, oh, Mexico. Very well done. Thank James you. Taylor, Jimmy Buffett, Zach Brown, uh, Kenny Chesney. It's all of those tunes coming from paradise. Here we are on the morning of the eve for Japan, and on the eve of the morning, Ooh. In Mexico, very much looking forward to everything that still stands before us because even though we're in November, yeah. Damon, this golf still means something at this time of year. Absolutely. Lots still to play for. So here's what you need to know on this Wednesday. The PGA Tour wrapping up the international portion of its autumn season with the Worldwide Technology Championship at Mayakoba. Now, after two years in which no public tickets were sold due to COVID-19, spectators Welcome back to El Camillion this week. Coverage begins, by the way, tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on Golf Channel. Strong field, I would say. Seamus Power coming off that win in Bermuda. Conmore Cobb a two-time major champ, player of the year, Scotty Scheffler. Hovland going for three straight in Mexico. Four-time PGA Tourner, Tony Finau. A couple former world number ones in Justin Rose, Jason Day, Billy Horschel, a FedEx Cup champ with more on the week ahead let's welcome in todd lewis from playa del carmen with a report on the world number two well first off damon i want to commend you for trying to sing i think you're on key spot on there here in mexico uh it's it's pretty it's we're getting some intense rain right now there's actually a tropical system just to the south of where we are and we're getting some of the outer bands uh so they just blew the horn so the program has been halted actually for the second time today but Scotty Scheffler did finish up his nine-hole pro-am this morning, despite the delay. Now, this is the first PGA Tour event for Scotty Scheffler where he is no longer the number one player in the world. He uh, assumed the number one spot after winning the WGC Dell Technologies match play in Austin. I caught up with Scotty just a few moments ago, about an hour ago or so, and asked him, was it weird for him to see his name not on the top of the official World Golf ranking? Um, not really, but I didn't look, so... Um, yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, you know, I had a good run at the top, um, and you know, Rory's been playing some fantastic golf, and you know, I haven't had my best stuff recently, so you know, he definitely deserves to be number one, and you know, it's not me anymore. Let's talk about something that can sometimes cripple some of the best players. That's expectations. As well as you played in the earlier part of that this year, did you at some point, or maybe you do now, see that as your normal? That's how you should play. Well, you know, I'm hoping for it to be the normal, but you know, golf's a fickle game, and you can't can't ever look too far ahead. I just try and stay in the present and try and just kind of grind things out, practice hard, and play hard out here. So you don't you don't really deal with expectations in regards to your game? Well, I mean, I have expectations for myself. I don't deal with you know outward expectations. Um, what are your expectations? 
you know, I expect to show up and, and play well. You know, I put in the work at home, and so when I show up to a tournament, I'm expecting to show up and, and do my best and play well. And after that, you know, it's all it's all not up to me. You know, all I can do is prepare and you know, get ready. And then when I show up to the tournaments, I've, I've done everything I could to play well. And so when I show up on the first tee, I'm, I'm definitely not expecting to go out and finish 50th place. But all I'm trying to do on the first tee is hit a good shot and go from there. Do you feel like uh, over the last few months you have met those expectations that you have for yourself? You no, know, like I said, I, I feel like I haven't been playing my best. Um, I, I've been hitting it decent. I've struggled with the putter a little bit. Um, and it's it's not easy to win out here. No. It's, it's a pretty, pretty <laughs> difficult tour to win on. And so um, all you can do is just go out and do your best and try and put yourself in position and go from there. You're going to play here this week. You're going to play in Houston. You're going to play Tigers event, the Hero down in the Bahamas. What do you hope to gain from these last few events as we turn the calendar into 23? Now, I'm hoping to just finish the year off right. Um, I'm funny. I typically, going back to college, I've never really played good in the fall. Now, last year, I think, was the first year I really had some kind of good starts in the fall. I had a good start here, a good start in Houston. and. You know, I played some good golf and kind of gave me some confidence going into the new year. And so I'm hoping to get a little bit more of that. I've been, been practicing hard at home. I, I did take a little bit of a break after the FedEx Cup. Uh, it was a long year, and you know, I've been practicing hard now, and I, I feel very prepared for this event. Now, Scotty has made some changes to his equipment. If you remember, at Congaree, he debuted on the PGA Tour with a mallet-style putter. He said he didn't putt as well at Congaree as he hoped. He didn't really get some great reads on those difficult greens, but he says he puts beautifully at home back in Texas, and he hopes to carry some of that from Texas here to Mexico. Also, interestingly, he had a brand new set of irons. It was the same irons that he uh, normally uses at Congaree, but he said that the grips felt a little firm. They just weren't right. He, he wasn't feeling the compression of the ball. So instead of replacing the grips, he just replaced the clubs. He got a brand new set of clubs uh, with the proper grips that he's going to use here this week. Very optimistic about his chances here at Mayakoba. He finished fourth here last year. I walked with him and his caddy, Ted Scott, today. I would be surprised to see Scotty in the mix here at Mayakoba on the weekend. That sound right, Scotty? My report, you weren't paying attention? Scotty's about 10 feet from me. <laughs> I was thinking about yelling over earlier. He was thinking about yelling over. Thanks for not doing that. He's waiting out the rain here as well. Uh, Scotty's a gentleman. He's not going to heckle you. Tilu during your report. How about Colin Morikawa, by the way, the second highest ranked player in this field, coming off, I'd say, a pretty quiet season. Where is Colin's headspace at this point? Yeah, it's quiet. That's a good description of his season. Uh, we're used to seeing Colin Morikawa hold championship trophies. He has yet to win in 2022. He hasn't played poorly. He's had four top five finishes this calendar year, but he's not quite met his standards. And he talked about what has been a bit of a struggle for him in 2022? A lot of searching and a lot of just kind of guessing, right? Um, you know, ever since I made the trip out to Dubai and played the DP World and played Abu Dhabi Dubai early in the year, um, things just never felt good. And, um, you know, it just kind of, it was searching for that game, searching for just kind of a normal. And the problem is when I search is like I search for perfection, right? We're not just searching for the ball to kind of, do something all right but when you're playing well like all you want to do is just kind of push it up there you know it's going to get in the hole and you're going to make birdies um but it was just it was a lot more stressful this year of just kind of trying to figure out what was wrong when it was simply you know just kind of a body thing and just the way my body was moving um and you know unfortunately it took seven eight months throughout the year to at least find that and uh but that's on me you know everything is on me just to know what's going on. Uh, I've got, you know, a great team around me, but that's the, be that's the best, best thing is that, you know, I still have to be aware of what I'm doing. And uh, I just wasn't 
kind of being selfish enough to, to make sure everything was, was where I wanted it to be. And, um, you know, it's a grind, but that's what's great. You know, even though we are kind of heading towards this off season, this fall area, um, I'm putting a lot of pieces together and, and putting a lot of work in to make sure, you know, this kind of next, say, 23 is going to be uh, as best as ever. You know, it was interesting. I spoke with Rick Sessinghouse, who has been Collins' longtime swing coach since he was a junior. Not only is he a swing coach, he's a mental coach, a life coach, a really big influence for Colin Morikawa. I spoke with Rick this morning about the struggles that Colin was talking about at that press conference. And he said, if you think about Colin, when he came out on the PGA Tour, he won early in his career, won a major championship in 2020, winning the PGA. Then the following year, won a WGC event, then won the Open. Consciously or subconsciously, he was thinking, this is how I should play all the time. But golf is golf. You can plateau or even dip a little bit with your game for a variety of reasons. And it's him dealing with that. He did say that you heard him. He was searching earlier in his in this year. He's no longer searching. His body is where it needs to be. He's got it in good uh, physical shape so he could get his swing in the right position. So the search is not happening right now. Now it's just a matter of execution. And Colin wants to treat these final few events, this one here, the Hero World Challenge down in the Bahamas, as an opportunity to build some momentum, get back to that form that he had last year and carry that into 2023. So Colin Morikawa is very focused in this laid back environment here at Mayakoba. Todd Lewis opening up the notebook for us in Mexico on two of the big names in the game, Scotty Scheffler and Colin Morikawa. So how about a little calendar year comparison between those two big name players last season you see really all Scotty Scheffler there is no comparison in 2022 Maddie four wins versus none you see the top tens but we're talking about the player of the year in Scotty Scheffler oh yeah Scotty Scheffler for so much time sitting atop the world rankings as he was talking to Todd Lewis about a little bit earlier as well so it's a picture of a player that had what may have been a career year although I think Scotty Scheffler is capable of doing that again compared to a year that the other was slightly off How about the career comparison very close five wins for Morikawa, four for Scotty, couple majors for Colin, one for Scotty, six top tens for each of them in major championships, which brings us to a little addition of take your pick. I mean, would you take Colin or Scotty in terms of having a better career to this point? You know, when you ask a question like that, it, you're talking about a picture at a, at a point in time. Just a snapshot. And, it, yeah. and the snapshot is right now. It's mm -hmm. here today. And, and when you look at it against the fact that Colin Morikawa has two major championships to one major championship, and major championships are in and of themselves so critically important, you have uh, the list is long of players that have won a major championship, and that is the highlight of their career. Colin Morikawa has done it twice so again in a, in a very small sample size I would say it's definitively Colin Morikawa because the major championships are the epitome the pinnacle of the game of golf and for what it's worth he is twice as many yeah and this was him of course unlocking that major championship number one at TPC Harding Park driving the green there setting up the Eagle you're right two to one Scott, you could say, well, he's been number one in the world. Colin hasn't. He's been player of the year. Yeah. And Morikawa hasn't. But I agree with you. You know, history is written on the strength in the back of major championships. I mm -hmm. think that's, you know, Jack, we can thank for that. Bobby Jones, Tiger Woods. I mean, Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer. Yeah. The big-time players have made it the, their mark and their mission 
to win majors. How about going forward, though? Is there a horse that you would back and say, well, Scotty's going to have a better career or Morikawa's going to have a better career? Um, on that point, I would actually go, at, again, it's point in time, right? I would go with Scotty Scheffler. Mm. And the reason why I'd go with Scotty Scheffler ha has a lot to do with what we just saw and heard from uh, Todd Lewis and with his conversation with Scotty Scheffler. You know, Todd specifically asked him about being world number one and then no longer being world number one, to which uh, Scheffler said, quoting, not really, but I really didn't look. Uh, it, it's not, it's, I'm not there anymore, it, it, end quote. So I'm amazed by how unaffected he is by the stage that he's on, mm. right? Where many times when you have players who have been world number one and then they lose that position, the first thing they say in any discussion about it is, oh, I can't wait to get back there again. I'm going to get back there again yeah. and all the rest. And Scotty Scheffler's kind of like, eh. So what I like about Scotty Scheffler in, in – just we brought up uh, Arnold Palmer's name a second ago, you know, swing your swing. Scotty Scheffler swings his swing. And if you look at Scotty Scheffler with his size and you look at someone like, say, Sam Snead, mm. right, where long swing, long career. Uh, Sam Snead was one of the best in the game of using the ground as a ground force amplifier. Look at him right before impact. Scotty Scheffler does the same thing. Scotty Scheffler is a bigger frame than Sam Snead. Sam Snead in 1974 at 72 years old finished a tie for third in the PGA Championship. At 52 he was the oldest to win in the PGA Tour. He made the cut at the Westchester Classic at 67 years old in 1979. I bring that up about Sam Snead in the comparison to Scotty Scheffler. The swings are not identical and that's not what I mean by that. Right. What I mean is the way that Scotty Scheffler owns his own golf swing. Yeah. Uh, I do think that with that and with the mental posturing that he has of not being overwhelmed by the position that he's in, contrast that to Colin Morikawa. Colin Morikawa is a player that, in my view, he kicks into this extra gear. He finds this zone. We saw it when he was at Harding Park. Uh, I was assigned to follow him at Royal uh, St. George's, and he, he becomes something outside of himself in the way that he performs in that. A Scheffler, to his credit, and I don't mean to take away from one or the other, but I'm saying Scheffler doesn't have to do that. Mm. His gear is his gear. So when Colin Morikawa has it, it's brilliant. Yeah. But Scotty Scheffler, I think long-term, has it every day. I love the comparison to Sam Snead, who some would say is, is not just the best golfer who ever lived athletically. We always talk Jack, Tiger, Hogan. I think Sam Snead often is but left Jack off that list. Jack used the ground, too. No question about it. Sam Snead was incredibly limber and athletic, yeah. a remarkable physical talent. I lean Colin Morikawa, though, because of the iron play. And we talk about last season being a quiet season. He was third in strokes gained approach yeah. in his quiet season. He's been first. He's been second. So far this season, he's 10th in strokes gained approach. His iron play, to me, reminiscent of Tiger Height of Power, Johnny Miller, Ben Hogan, Jack Nicklaus, Rory McIlroy, when you talk about the best to ever do it, the iron play is often the separator. I was inside the ropes in 2006 and watched Tiger Woods at Hoylake. I was there in 2000 and watched Tiger Woods at St. Andrews. Colin Morikawa, to me, has a lot of the same 
fingerprints when it comes to his iron play. If he can be third on the PGA Tour in an offseason in strokes gained approach when he is right, he wins major championships. I like what he's done with Rick in that uh, I would compare him to, for example, Ali Trevino, mm. where you, you have these great ball strikers of all time. Another one that would come to mind would be Nick Price. And I'm not talking about position in the backswing. Mm. I'm talking about position of the club face as it comes through impact and how long he's able to keep that club mm. face square because of the way that he comes in. It's it's artistry. It's yeah. very, very impressive. It just seems like right now, from what we heard, he said in his own words, I'm searching, I'm searching a lot, and when I search, I search for perfection. I hope that Todd is right and Rick is right about that, that he's on the other side of all of that. Mm. Still to come on Golf Today, Seamus Power is now a two-time winner on the PGA Tour, and he's joining our program right after this break. You don't want to miss this. Pick up your ultimate DIY companion with a skill power tool at Menards. With power and precision at your fingertips, tackle any project with ease. From drilling to sawing, sanding to driving, skill has you covered. Engineered for efficiency and durability, skill power tools deliver quality results every time. Say big on skill power tools. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. We are back on Golf Today. Seamus Power, the man from Waterford, Ireland, has crystallized himself amongst the best. Now ranked a career-high 32nd in the world as a two-time PGA Tour winner. He posted a final round score of 70 at the Butterfield Bermuda Championship for his latest victory. And who doesn't like a little superstition from the Irishman? Seamus Power made sure to show a little green in his outfit on Sunday, lacing up his shoes with a little good luck with that Irish green. Fellow Irishman Padraig Harrington was in full support of Power tweeting this message. What a great win for Seamus. Never easy to win with the new expectations of being the leading player in the field. That's a new level that should bring some well-earned confidence going forward. Seamus got another special shout-out from some well-known friends. Take a listen. How you doing, everybody? With a dropkick, Murphy's in with a big shout-out to our pal Seamus on his victory this weekend. His name's Seamus Howard. He's a hell of a guy. He tees up the rock, and then he lets it fly. He just won the Butterfield. He's coming for the rest. Go on now, young Seamus. You'll soon be the best. And it's no Boston's dropkick Murphy. Seamus is joining us right now. First of all, congratulations, my friend. Were you aware that the dropkick Murphys did that, or when did you find out? Uh, uh, well, first, thanks very much. And no, I was just only sent that yesterday or the day before. Yeah, I think that might, not, that might be the highlight of the whole thing, to be honest. I don't think I'm ever <laughs> going to get tired of listening to it. Do you know the guys? Are, are you a fan, a uh, friend, maybe, of the band? 
But I, I de definitely a fan, but no, I wouldn't know the guys. It was just like, that's why I was so surprised when I saw it. But yeah, I, I've been sent it from a lot, lot of different angles, and I said I definitely won't get tired of listening to it. That's great. Now, Podrick said in his tweet to you, <laughs> he mentioned specifically that phrase of new expectations. I'm curious about that from your perspective. Do you feel any new weight of expectations given your position now? Uh, no, not really, but I mean, it, it definitely was a new one for me, as he said last week, like being the highest ranked player going into the tournament is not something I've had before. And, you know, to be able to pull through and get the win in that situation, as he said, it's, it's definitely new. And it's something, I'll, as he said, I'll, I'm going to take a lot of confidence from, you know, knowing that even when the expectation and pressures are high, you can still kind of perform. So, yeah, it was another positive to an all around great week. Seamus, your energy level after that windy battle on Sunday, I see it's another windy day behind you for the Pro-Am, you know, how are you doing physically and emotionally after that tussle in Bermuda? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely definitely feeling a little, a little bit yesterday, but now I feel back to myself today. Um, you know, I was lucky I was able to have some time off in the fall. I had five weeks off after the playoffs, um, so I feel actually very fresh and ready to go. So, yeah, as you said, it's another kind of tough-looking day down here, but hopefully the forecast kind of comes through over the weekend and we're going to get to play some golf. Yeah, I'm wondering, though, Seamus, if you want the winds to die down any, because what you did in Bermuda, <laughs> particularly your, your, your approach to the greens, you hit 75% of your greens, tied for ninth in the field uh, in that category in those conditions. How much were the conditions, as a person that grew up in Ireland and used to playing in the winds, how much did it all weave together to your advantage? Yeah, I, I, like it was it was such a strange week. I mean, on Thursday there was no breeze, and then by obviously you saw it on Saturday, Sunday. It was I'm not sure what 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 it topped out at, but it was blowing really hard. I and I as I said to my caddy on Sunday morning, I was not opposed to seeing it blow on Sunday. You know, I said we blow up or we grow up playing in a lot of those conditions, and you just kind of find ways to hang in there and get it done, and you know, flighting shots and shaping it this way and that way, and. I think that the most important thing in those conditions is just hanging in there and realizing it's going to be tough for everyone, not just yourself. And, you know, you knew on that golf course, too, once you got to like 12, it was going to be a tough couple of hours coming in. So you kind of bracing for that all morning. And I was able to just kind of do enough coming in. So you're from Ireland, but I read an article that Coach Warren at East Tennessee State, where you went to college, once described you as having an American-style game, long hitter, aggressive, trying to make birdies. How much is that still the case? Yeah, I mean, that's to me, that was that was kind of when I was growing up, that's what I would see was, was going to be the most successful way to go. But as I said, you still learn some skills growing up when, you know, I played tournaments where five to ten over par is won it on a Lynx course and you're just hanging on there and you just get used to hitting shots that don't end up in the spots where you kind of you hope they do. And you just kind of hang in there, move on. And in one sense, I, I said this, Mike, Addy, over the weekend, it just it keeps you in the moment a little bit more knowing that you just don't have a chance to look ahead knowing like the difficulty of the shots that are, are kind of at hand you just every shot can be a disaster waiting to happen in that sort of wind so it kind of makes you stay in the moment and I was able to do that just enough as I said Mick picked up a couple of birdies here and there and able to just do enough. Well now that 2023 sits right on the horizon the European Ryder Cup team of course will be looking for some new blood in the new year. Luke Donald shouted you out on Twitter. If Luke says, Seamus, would you bring what do you would you bring to my team? I'm curious what answer you would give to the captain. 
you know, I mean, everyone's got a lot of confidence in their game. I'd like to think, you know, I'm you know, going to bring to the table a person that can win some points, you know, next year in Rome. Um, you know, at 35, and be a little bit, or actually, be 36 by then. You know, you're also bringing a bit of maturity and kind of just a little bit of experience. Um, so, you know, th those things combined, you know, hopefully, be enough to, to, to get me a spot there next week or next year if I can, you know, play a good, a lot of good golf in the next 10 months. Not going to stereotype here, but it seems like Europeans come out of the womb playing match play. How about your match play bona fides? What should we know, Seamus? Yeah, we do. We play a lot of it in amateur golf growing up, and I think I think that's a huge difference. You know, obviously, as professionals, we, we don't play much anymore. I mean, in Austin, I think last year is probably the first match we have played in over a decade. So, But again, it's the same as the tough conditions. You, you just kind of learn how things go and momentum can change so quickly and especially in match where you know you can look like losing or winning a hole and something can happen like a hole shot and completely it can flip a whole match and you got to be on alert for that and always assume that things are going to happen and again not get not get flustered don't get too far ahead of yourself and you know just try to win every hole that you you can and it's it's different it's it's hard to explain it's just we would, we would always say it growing up, you can have guys that are good, can be really, really good players, but they're not very good match play guys. And it's just, it's just a little bit different. You know, if you're playing against a guy and you can you know, stand up there and knock in a 15 footer, you know, and they have maybe something 12, 12 feet after you, it becomes a lot more difficult where, you know, a lot of times in stroke play, you're not playing exactly head to head. So, you know, it's just new pressures for guys. And I said, we're lucky enough to play a lot of that growing up. So we have some experience with it. Seamus, I'm curious, now that you are 32nd in the world, the highest that you have ever been, you're now a two-time winner on the PGA Tour, what would you say was harder, to break through that first time or to break through again? For me, I think it was definitely the first time. You know, you've, once you kind of get the first one under your belt, you, you know and it gives you that inner confidence that you know that your best golf can get it done. So like knowing that even like last week going in on Sunday morning, I felt very comfortable right from the get go and hit some really good shots on Sunday. And I, I definitely felt a little bit more at ease than I did in Kentucky last summer. So I, to me, I wasn't sure going in, like, but, but during the round, I really felt comfortable, felt like I just that inner belief and confidence. That I know I can get it done. I was in that position and knowing I was against a lot of guys that have not been in that position. So it just gave me that extra little bit of belief. And I said, it just was just enough to get me through. Well, Seamus, I'm looking forward to seeing if the Dropkick Murphys can come up with a song that <laughs> rhymes with Mayakoba. Yeah. Best of luck this week. Congratulations on last <laughs> week, and thanks for the time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, guys. Welcome back. Todd Lewis from rainy Mayakoba. Yeah, if Victor Hopland wins again, it'll be on a wet golf course. Right now, we are getting just pounded with a lot of rain. There's a tropical system south of Mayakoba. We're getting some of those bands. It's a threat tomorrow, too. It may be tough for all in the field to complete the opening round. But good news is Friday through Sunday looks pretty good. But let's get back to Victor Hovland. If you look at his year, he started out very well, very strong, as a matter of fact, in seven starts worldwide his first seven starts he had five top tens including a win in Dubai but he has kind of cooled off just a bit but he's hoping to turn things around at a place that he really owns winning the last two events here at Mayakoba and for a guy who grew up in Norway that is far from tropical he has some positive vibes here in this part of Mexico what is it about the vibe here that makes you feel so comfortable and successful just really relaxed atmosphere. Um, golf course is great. People are really nice and the food's great. 
Um, you're right by the beach, so it's just a really cool vibe. And even though it looks nothing like Norway, it's just uh, I think it's a place where everyone kind of feels comfortable. I'm sure when you pull into a parking lot on a PGA Tour stop, you are expecting to be in contention to play well. Is that is that emphasized here for you uh, at Mayakoba? Yeah, it's interesting because obviously you do show up to a tournament with uh, with the goal to win. Um, but I think last year I was a defending champion, and um, it's all obviously even more so on your mind to try to defend. And I think sometimes it can work the opposite way where you're just putting too much pressure on yourself. But if your game is in the right spot, I think it almost hyper-focuses you in a little bit. Um, and I think it, it worked last, last year, and hopefully it does uh, again this year. All right, so the big question is, is your game in the right spot? I, I feel like it's really trending to where uh, it really needs to be. Um, I, I've made a lot of improvements, I think, but there's been certain shots under pressure that, um, you know, I, I, I'm, if you look at me on the range, I'm hitting some really, really good shots. But then what, I'm, what I haven't done as well is that when I'm under pressure, I need to see a certain shot that I used to have all the time before it's it hasn't been as accurate um you know the ball could curve a little left it could curve a little right and then you'd lose it a little bit of confidence under pressure but i, I really feel like i've uh, come back to a spot where i know exactly what the ball is doing it might not go exactly where i'm aiming but i feel like i know where the misses are going and that's um that's basically the number one key out here i just feel like as soon as i come to this property i see the exact shots that i need to hit and i just kind of naturally went back to that place. Uh, we're in November, still a little golf to play in this year, but as you reflect back so far on 2022, what are your, what are your takeaways? It's been uh, an interesting year. Um, I had a really good start to the year, and um, I, I feel like this time of the year is kind of when I've played my best golf so far in my professional career. Um, I, I don't know why that is, but um, it, it's been a little bit too inconsistent uh, for my liking, I've played some some good golf and uh, I've had some really nice finishes, but uh, a little bit too inconsistent for especially how well I've struck it before. And my short game hasn't been all that great, but this year I really feel like my short game and putting has been a lot better. But uh, my ball striking hasn't been up to par as what it's been before. So if I can just match everything together, I think, um, yeah, it should be a really good season. Okay, you heard Victor talk about his game and what has been a little bit off. Uh, I'll give you a further explanation. He told me that his natural shot, his muscle memory shot, is a left-to-right shot, a fade, but he wanted to incorporate a draw into his game, a right-to-left shot, and that's what he worked on this year. But by doing so, that instinctive fade that he normally hits pretty easily just wasn't there. So he's really been focusing on making sure that his natural left-to-right shot was a big part, a big weapon in his game and he feels like through repetitiveness he's got that back and of course this will be a big test for him this week if his game is in good shape because he's had so much success here at Mayakoba. Guys? Todd Lewis reporting from Playa del Carmen. Great conversation with Victor Hovland. Hearing about that incorporating a draw reminds me a little bit of Martin Keimer back in the day. Natural fader of the golf ball wanted to incorporate a draw specifically for Augusta National. Let's take a look at Victor Hovland's performance at Mayakoba, tell you what, that round three, they call it moving day on Saturday, he has a 63, and he has a 62 
on the way to winning back-to-back at Mayakoba. Where do you see this player going for three straight here? Because you heard him talk about his ball striking night, not quite where he wants it mm -hmm. to be. And strokes gained around the green 191st on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I mean, that's the area of weakness for Victor Hovland that we've all known about for a long time, and he talks about it himself. However, when that part of his game is on song, and he just said that his putting in his short game he feels like is in better shape than even his ball striking, which is saying something. Yes, it does. I don't think it's a reflection that his ball striking mm. is that far away, given what Todd was just talking about, that he's trying to get back that natural shot shape. He's one of the players, I don't know about you, but when I'm on site and I'm around the practice grounds, the driving range, I will go to watch him hit mm. the ball because mm. he generally is extremely straight and he compresses the daylights out of the golf ball. What he needs to do here, and I do think there's courses for horses, as he's showing us, is to be extremely straight. That's so important. If you look at the list of winners at Mayakoba, right. it's very important to stay out of the mangroves mm -hmm. down there. So I do think there's the potential that you go back to a place where you've known success before. The general historic weaknesses in your game are yeah. now feeling better and stronger than they ever have before. All of that sounds like a pretty good combination to me if he's getting comfortable that he's got back his natural take out the left side of the course swing. Yeah, and the golf course will be a little bit different than the golf course he has played and competed on and won the last couple of years with all of the rain that is falling, maybe taking a little fire out of the golf course. He's long off the tee, but yeah. maybe the short game issues which seem to pop up from time to time maybe won't be as big of an issue if the golf course is a little bit softer. And you talked about wanting to watch him on the driving range I am intrigued by his attitude also and how long he will be able to carry that optimism, that smile forward because he's someone that even a few years into his professional career doesn't seem jaded, no. doesn't seem short-tempered or quick with the media. He just seems to be a giver. And I also think that that's a positive and important aspect of his makeup on the PGA oh, Tour. I definitely think so. I mean, the fact that he stayed in his college town just yeah. for the vibe, just to be there, I think it speaks to his particular personality he mm. wasn't looking to rise himself above circumstance he was actually embracing it and some of the things that he came to know I mean here's an international player goes to school in the United States stays in the United States based out of, out of the USA he just doesn't seem to put a lot of pressure on himself yeah. which, is, which is good for him I think at the open this past summer at St. Andrews it was a huge opportunity mm. for him and even though he wasn't able to take advantage of that opportunity I'm sure he views himself as having taken advantage of the learning that came along with it. So my sense with him is that he's not as far off as you might think looking at his level of performances. Again, just yeah. judging by St. Andrews as one prime example. And when you talk about the conditions of the golf course, if it is that wet and if they continue to get that much rain tomorrow, I think it's completely possible that it could be lift clean in place. Mm. And if that happens, you're going to see some really low scoring. He's capable of going deep. I think he's a smart man to stay in Stillwater, by the way. Karsten Creek... Yeah. Great test of golf and a fantastic practice area as well. How about a Florida Gator, though? Billy Horsell also in this field tee time, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time, alongside a couple of former world number ones, major champs in Justin Rose and Jason Day. See how Billy Horsell's been playing of late last three starts. Tell you what, been playing well. All finishes inside the top ten for Billy Ho now on Tuesday spoke about how he is setting his goals at the age of 35. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would love to get the number one player in the world. Is that 
I mean, that's a goal of mine, but the bigger goal being I want to become the best player I can be. And that means I get the number one player in the world. I get the number one. And that means the best I get to is four. That's four. Um, but I just wanted to achieve the, you know, my full potential. Uh, I want to make a Ryder Cup team. I've made a team finally. But to sit here and tell you the truth, I want to make a Ryder Cup team. That's always been my number one goal. And, and so that's, I still have a few more years to try and make one and hopefully be a part of more than just one. And, and to tell you the truth, I mean, I want to win all the majors. I, I've done, I've, that's always been a goal of mine. Now, is that realistic? I don't know, but it's a goal. And some people may call me crazy because like, they may not think I'm good enough, but I don't really care what they think. But it's a goal of mine. But the bigger goal being I want to at least win one, if not multiple majors on the P, um, before I'm done. Uh, just so I can say I'm a major championship, major champion winner. I, I won at the biggest stage in the most pressure-packed tournaments. I think, and then the last goal, um, I think, would be getting multiple or double-digit wins on the PGA Tour. I think today, in our age of golf and the generation we are at and on the PGA Tour, I think if you can say you've won 10-plus times on the PGA Tour, you've had one hell of a career. You're not going to see many guys get to 20 wins anymore on the PGA Tour you will see, you know, Justin Thomas, you know, Roy McIlroy's always there. Maybe Jordan Spieth gets there. But you're not going to see a lot of guys get to, to 20 wins anymore the way it used, you know, back when. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough thing to do in, in our era of golf. But to say that I have 10-plus wins on the PGA Tour, that, that's a big goal. So, I mean, summarize, 10-plus wins on the PGA Tour, win at least one major, make a Ryder Cup team, and maybe get the number one player in the world. So those four goals, that's it. Billy Ho opening up a vein with the media on yeah. Tuesday. And you could hear, I'm not going to say anxiety, but maybe a little impatience in knowing that the clock is ticking for a player at 35 who's competed in 36 major championships, Matt, and has one top 10 yeah. back in 2013 at the U.S. Open. I, you know, I love what, what Billy did. I, I know that there's a lot of people – social media or otherwise that are saying, you know, where's he coming from with the, with these goals, et cetera. But I think the, there's a couple things to, to uh, uncover here with Billy. First of all, he comes from a blue-collar background, and I mean that very respectfully. His, his family background is not necessarily with golf. It's rugby, right, kind of a rough-and-tumble sport. And in the turbulent waters of golf in 2022 he has been very outspoken mm. and he's been taken to task by a number of people because of that so I do get a sense uh, for me it's more so of, of kind of firing up his resolve as m more so than, than any concern about you know the sand uh, slipping out of the hourglass with that and then there's another side to this and, and to me it's a question of what do we want from our athletes in any sport what do we want from our athletes? We all want them to be honest with us. We all want them to share with us what they are really feeling. And when they have the courage, when they have the candor, when they are honest enough to do that, that is the time that they get taken the task. Now, he just said, I don't care, which I applaud him for that. that yeah. These are his goals. And to my way of thinking, and, and if, if you don't have the attitude 
that you are the best, if you don't have the attitude that you're capable of ascending to world number one, you're capable of winning uh, maybe multiple major championships, at least one, of qualifying for Ryder Cup teams, of winning multiple times in a season, uh, in the, let alone the remainder of a career on the PGA Tour, if you don't believe that at your best you are the best, yeah. then how can you compete in something that is so competitive as the PGA Tour? So for all those reasons, I love what Billy did. And, and it doesn't really matter what my opinion or your opinion, with all due yeah. respect, or anybody else's opinion is. All that matters is that he believes it and he uses it as fuel. He works very hard. He's always run hot, especially earlier in his career, in his 20s, a confrontational player. Maybe had a little bit too much bluster when the resume didn't quite match the bluster, just made the President's Cup team, you know, for the first time representing the U.S. since his Amher days in the Walker Cup. So I think being a part of that team and checking a long-awaited box for him, and next up will be a Ryder Cup that he wants desperately to make in Rome, maybe he can kind of take a little pressure off himself and perform don't in the majors you, that way. Don't you want him on that wall? Don't oh, you need him on that he's wall? For built, the, for, he's it's perfect built for a confrontational player. Yeah. But, but I also know that a guy who does a Florida Gator chomp <laughs> in Georgia Bulldog country and who wears octopus pants in the national championship as he did at Marion has big-time belief, and I just want to see that belief somehow transfer to the major championships. It's odd for a ball striker like him to have one top 10 in 36 starts. It, it, it almost, to me, doesn't make sense. Well, we'll see how it plays itself out. You know, we had Seamus Power on earlier in this show. He, too, is 35 years old, and there was mm. a time in the game when we used to say that a golfer reached their peak Good in their mid-30s. Absolutely. Maybe this is a step back and step forward at the same time. Uh, stay with us after the break. It's time for a past champ chat with our friend and eight-time PGA Tour winner, Freddie Funk. He took home the inaugural title at the Worldwide Technologies Championship at Mayakoba. We'll quiz him about that when Golf Today returns. Back on golf today, want to flashback to 2007. We want the funk. Got to have that funk. Worldwide Technology Championship at Mayakoba. There he is. He won the inaugural title thanks to a birdie on the second playoff hole. Historic win for the then 50-year-old. Became the second golfer to win on the PGA Tour after locking up a win on PGA Tour champions. Puts that trophy in the air. How about the oldest winners on the PGA Tour? A lot of these guys, they age like fine wine. None sweeter than Sam Sneed. I once called him Slamming Sammy Seed. Sam Sneed is what you call the World Golf Hall of Fame member, Art Wall Jr. There's Fred Funk there, 07, 50 years old, 8 months and 11 days. And at that time, he had this to say, even though you are 50 or 51 through 55, age doesn't really mean a thing. It's a very satisfying win. I just want to see how long I can last out here. So it's time now for a past champ chat with the aforementioned Fred Funk. Fred, thanks for the time, buddy. You know, the headlines back at 07 read, 50-year-old Fred Funk overcomes painful back to win. What do you remember? I remember that. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, actually, I was getting worked on on the golf course uh, the one day. But that's when my back was really good uh, compared to what it is now. But that that quote really applies again to, um, to now because I wanted to see how long I could last on a regular tour 
Now I'm trying to find out how long I can last on the Champions Tour. When you had that victory, Fred, you lasted that week more so than anybody else because of your accuracy staying out of those mangroves. I'm just curious about the way that your game fit that week and how everything came together for you. Well, that was the first year we played the Mayakoba and, and played in Mexico. So it was a exciting week for the tour to go down to Mexico, exciting for Mexico. And we were playing the Mayakoba Resort, which is a really good Greg Norman golf course. Uh, it has those mangroves everywhere. It's a really uh, uh, demanding golf course because you got to keep it away from those mangroves. And and back then when we played it, uh, we played it in the fall, and the ball was running, and it would run in the trouble. And then when we moved it to the uh, – I guess it was the other way around. We had the spring, and then we went to the fall. Whichever way, um, the ball was running back then, and it would run in the trouble. And now the, when they play it this time of year, which is in the fall, it's wet. And it plays a lot easier as far as keeping it out of trouble, but it plays a lot longer. Um, but that was really cool. Also, the fact that you saw me trying to lift that trophy. That trophy probably weighs about 30 pounds. Whoa. And uh, <laughs> it, had, it was hard to get it over my head. Where do you keep that trophy these days? <laughs> well, they're all packed in storage right now because we're homeless. But uh, eventually I'm going to get it back out and, and uh, have a trophy room. And, and we'll uh, have a showcase there with my players. Absolutely love it. Hey, Fred, did want to ask you, you know, overall, how are you feeling? The last time you and I spoke, you were kind of searching for your game. You had the, had the issues with your back that you've been working on. How are things right now? You know, actually, at the end of the year, it was feeling a lot better. My game is playing, <laughs> ironically, now our season's over. I'm starting to hit the ball a lot better. I feel like uh, for the first time in five or six years that I can uh, practice pretty hard and and try to get some of my distance that I lost. Uh, I got to get some speed back so I can compete. And uh, if I can do that, I feel like I'm going to give it one more really good year next year and, and go as hard as I can, like I always used to. And if I can get competitive again, I'm going to stay. And if I can't, I'll have a decision to make. Fred, not a lot of athletes get to ride off into the sunset the way they want to. Uh, you consider your Players' Championship at 48, then a couple years after you win on the PJ Tour at 50. How much were you able to make peace with your PJ Tour career, especially the way it ended? Uh, yeah, I'm, looking back, I'm really pleased with what I did, but I didn't picture myself going out at, um, you know, 2017 was my first really big issue with the back and I had it operated on and uh, since then my career really went south as far as my playing ability so um, I I didn't want it to end that way I kind of picture myself being a Hale Irwin type where I could uh, stay healthy and always try to take care of myself and, and walk into my 70s and still be able to play and be competitive but uh, that hadn't worked out so well so um, you know it's a little frustrating I, I was competitive with with Jay Haas is still very competitive, and obviously Bernie um, is still ridiculous how good he is. And, you know, even back then I was uh, competitive with those guys, and then I just dropped off the chart. And it's hard for me to swallow that. I, I want to get back in the game again and, and just give it one more go and see if I can. Uh, Fred, to channel the kind of Raymond Floyd here, uh, that the ball doesn't know how old you are, off of the quote that we came into this segment with, I am curious, given where the game of golf is today with the power that's in the game and the young players that are playing as well as they are, how 
reasonable is it to think that someone who might be playing on the PGA Tour champions and has still uh, the ability to play in the PGA Tour, can they still win? Yeah, I think so on certain golf courses, but I can't with the lack of distance I have right now. I'm just giving up too much. Um, you know, I, I was never a long hitter, but I could fly the ball, you know, 260. Now I fly at 235 or, you know, 240 if I really get on it. So it's, um, you know, I got to get that back. Well, we want to do a little edition of Quiz the Champ and, and ask you some questions about 2007 because in some ways it feels like it was yesterday, at least to me. You were 50 when you won. Do you remember who you beat in that playoff? Jose Cacheras. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ding, ding. Off, off ding, to a good ding, oh, Ring the bell. All right, here's the next question. How many starts have you made on the PGA Tour? Over 600, about 650. Dead on the wow. number. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. called a noser. All right. Yeah. One more for you. This is another tough one, though. Your players win that we talked about. Monday finish. How many holes did you have to play on that cold Monday? 31 and a half. That's the number. Oh, my good! I mean, unbelievable. Very impressive. You, pa you passed all the tests, Fred. Good, good. Uh, throw those at Biden and see what happens. Anyway, <laughs> never mind. Hey, Fred. <laughs> Wrong channel, buddy. Thank Fred, thank you, buddy. Okay. You're classic. <laughs> all right, sorry about that. <laughs> all right, coming up, we're talking underdogs. Who are some of the game's most memorable? We'll share it when we get back on Golf Today. Welcome back to Golf Today. It's a big weekend of programming on NBC Networks. Don't miss the Breeders' Cup World Championships from Keeneland Racecourse in Lexington, Kentucky. Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern on USA. Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern on USA. And 3.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC and Peacock. Kentucky Derby winner Rich Strike is one of the headliners for the Six Million Breeders Cup Classic. The horse is trained by Eric Reed and ridden by jockey Sonny Leone. You may remember Rich Strike's epic Kentucky Derby performance as he overcame 80 to 1 odds to produce the second biggest upset in the history of the Kentucky Derby. Got us to thinking, Maddie, some of the great underdogs in golf history. That's our social question of the day. Who is the greatest underdog in golf history? Let us know. You can be featured on our show later this afternoon. Matt Adams, uh, you have a, a stab at this one, the greatest underdogs? I've got a couple. I'm curious about yours, too. The, yeah. the first one that I would go with would be the caddy, Francis, we met in 1913, winning the U.S. Open at Brookline. He beat Harry Varden and Ted Ray to do it in a playoff. And when you consider the fact that at that time, it would be equivalent at, at the absolute pinnacle of their careers of him beating, say, Tiger Woods and John Daly of their day. So the significance of that victory, there you can see that's Varden that was on the right side of Francis we met there. Uh, Lowry is caddy, he was 10 years old. And the significance of what took place is that given the development of the game of golf in 1913, it was still very young 
in the United States, it rose it above the fold. And the game, which had been seen as pretty much an elitist sport, and in fairness it was at that time in the USA, to have it won by a guy that was a caddy at such a tender age over two huge international stars did a great deal to grow and accentuate the growth of the game from that point on for literally decades. I'm going a different era. I love that. We spoke a lot about Francis last year, uh, this past season during the USO. But how about the Players' Championship 2002? Do you remember the Kiwi, Craig Perks? Oh, yeah. In that finish, he's trailing Stephen Ames by one shot, gets the par 5, 16th eagle, birdie 17. This is for par on 18. So he finishes 3, 2, Four, hat goes down, breaks Stephen Ames' heart. I ran into Craig Perks later. I was actually there that week, uh, but I ran into him later. I saw him at a gym called Frogs uh, in La Jolla, where the match play used to be. I just said, three, two, four. <laughs> and, and, and nobody, everybody knew what it meant. Nobody had to ask. What a way to finish for the 203rd-ranked player in the world and Tiger handing him the then crystal trophy right there in Ponte Vedra. Very cool indeed. I'm going to pick up on the Tiger and give you another underdog. I'm going to go back to 2009 with Y.E. Yang. Ooh. Here it was the first time that Tiger failed to convert a 54-hole lead yeah. in a major championship. Y.E. Yang had to overcome a two-shot deficit in that final round. He ended up beating Tiger by three shots. He him shooting a posting a final round 70 to Tiger's 75. But there's an element of competing against Tiger Woods that is very rarely talked about. And when he won his last Masters, none other than Rory McIlroy spoke about it. And Rory had a phrase for it that he said, a flash of red. You remember when Rory mm. was talking about this? And what he was talking about is when you're competing against Tiger, Tiger pours on his Tigerness. And it's kind of like just in your peripheral vision, there's always that to use again. Rory's phrase, I love the way he phrased it, flash of red. Tiger is there. And that day against Y.E. Yang in that final round, if you remember, he was pouring on the yes. Tigerness. He was lurking all the time around Y.E. Yang. But Y.E. Yang never conceded. He never backed off. And it was a fascinating mm. thing to watch at that time because of who Tiger was in the game. And major number 15 would come a decade after 2009. Speaking of a Stanford Cardinal like Tiger, how about Hillary Lunky? 2003, in the year of the underdog. You want to talk about the Sean McKeels and the Ben Curtises. Mike Weir and Jim Furyk became first-time major champs. This is Hillary Lunky, unheralded. <laughs> Went through local and final qualifying. Beat Angela Stanford and Kelly Robbins in a playoff. You want to talk about the Tiger? How about Annika Sorenstam, the Tiger of the LPGA Tour? Bogies the 72nd hole, a par 5, 18th to finish one shot out of the playoff. Hillary Lincoln didn't win before or after that national championship, Pumpkin Ridge 2003. You know, this is a segment that I think we probably needed a list of like 10, and maybe oh, that, even that wouldn't be enough. Because you think about, you know, Fleck at 55 at the Olympic mm. Club, went in the playoff over Ben Hogan, and the list goes on and on. But it's one of those things that makes golf so much fun, I yeah. think. You know, obviously we want to see the stars perform well as fans, but when you have these players that come in and do things that you don't expect them to do, that's what sport is all about. Yeah. Scott Simpson against Tom Watson, and sometimes the underdog doesn't win. The Bob Mays, who, be, who comes so oh, close. Oh, but he gave it a the good Rocco fight, didn't it? The Rocco Mediates, yeah. who came 
so close. Styles make fights. This is a fun segment. Yeah, another Rocco, too, against John Daly. Absolutely. Yeah.